Hello, I am Reinaldo Aragón from Lima, Peru, board member of the Media Project in Latino America and contributor to Religion Unplugged. The topic for today is the political crisis in Peru as a consequence of the recent impeachment to the former president Martin Vizcarra and the former president Manuel Merino de Lama. After three days of social protest in the streets, Manuel Merino resigned. He was only four days in the presidency of Peru. And now the liberal and uh, intellectual uh, Francisco Sagasti is our third president in one week. What brought Peru to this point? We shall examine this ongoing situation in Peru with our guest today. Let me introduce you to Christian Rosas, a Peruvian political analyst and advisor graduated from Liberty University as an international relations specialist and currently completing his master's degree in politics in the Peruvian Catholic University in Lima, in La Universidad Católica de Lima. He is a well-known social leader in Peru. Welcome, Christian. Thank you very much, Reinaldo. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to be with you mm -hmm. in your program. Uh, how did we get to this point, Christian? Well, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, Peru's been struggling uh, for the past years with a deep problem of corruption. Mm -hmm. Since the beginning of the new millennium, since the year 2000, until this day, every single president has spent some time in jail. Uh, first it was Fujimori, then it was Alan Garcia, who actually committed suicide in order to prevent from being from going to prison earlier. Then it was Ollantumala, then it was uh, Kuczynski, who resigned as well for a scandal of corruption. Now it was Vizcarra who was recently impeached in less than a week ago. Then it was Merino, who is the only one that did, was not ousted for corruption scandals, but he was ousted due to social pressure on the streets. Mm -hmm. And now we have a new president, uh, Sagasti, mm -hmm. who's a, a, also a very well-known uh, progressive thinker in Peru, who comes from uh, the party of the minority, in the Congress. However, due to the social pressure, they, he was able to acquire the, the office of the presidency. So he will be our president until next elections, which are set to be in place on April 2021. Mm -hmm. What about the social protests, demonstrations in, in, in Lima and different uh, cities in, in our country? What was the origin of this uh, social protest? Well, I believe that there's, uh, uh, there was an ongoing resentment due to an absolute disconnection with the political class in Peru mm -hmm. from the people. Um, Peruvians do not feel represented by their Congress. Well, it's, it's not just a phenomenon in Peru. It occurs in many countries in the world. Only two out of ten people in Peru who are able to elect uh, their representatives actually get their congressman elected. So that means eight out of ten Peruvians do not see 
Congress from the very beginning uh, as an entity that represents them. Plus, Peru is a very diverse country. We have different uh, tendencies, politically speaking, from different parts of the country. So our Congress it represents a, a variety of positions. And due to the coronavirus pandemic and the lockdowns and restrictions, there's been an ongoing stress among the people. A lot have lost their jobs. Other ones are currently undergoing uh, strong pressures, economically speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a higher growing number of unemployment, uh, a, a growing rate of divorce. So I believe this was a perfect excuse to let out all the frustrations uh, on President Merino, who was appointed by the Congress just as the Constitution states. However, due to his conservative position, he was able to spark the fury and the wrath of the media that constantly uh, tried to demonize him in a sense. And this was also a way to persuade people to join in the bullying. There was a, a, a political bullying, a social bullying to a person who had no guilt. His only guilt was to be appointed by the Congress as a new president. Now, some people believe the impeachment of Vizcarra was not fair, not because there was no a fair accusation. He, he was discovered being involved in, in many scandals, uh, mainly because of his lack of honesty. You know, he would say he wouldn't know somebody, then a picture would come out with that person. He would deny facts that were later on proven. But in despite of all this, uh, a significant uh, portion of society believed that even though he was uh, in, found to be a liar, he should be allowed to finish his term until April 2021. So what we have seen on the streets is the frustration being unleashed uh, until finally their main request was for Merino de Lama to resign. And that's what he finally did. He resigned to the office of the president in Peru. Mm -hmm. There was a divorce between political class and the people in the streets. What means that for, for, for our democracy? People do not feel, in a sense, connected to their political class because we don't have strong parties or parties that actually adhere to ideological positions. So the, the way political parties are set up in Peru is mainly upon... Uh, friendship, and usually among uh, leaders from different sectors or spectrums of society, from universities, from businesses. But you could find within the same party extreme opposite positions and stances. For example, within the same party, you could find a pro-life and a pro-abortion member, as well as a progressive and a conservative. So our, our political institutions, our political parties are not ideologically centered, but rather they are a personality centered. So it's like the friends of such a person are in this party and the friends of such another person are in this party. It would be like 
creating a party in the United States that would be the Bloomberg Party. And then another party called the Trump Party. And then another party called the Bill Gates Party, the Tesla Party. That's kind of what Peru's political reality is like. There's not a, a coercion based or oriented by political ideologies, but rather around people. So in this sense, uh, many of the citizens do not feel represented at all by the ideas of, of such leaders. And whenever they, they feel that something unfair or unjust or suspicious has been performed, um, they have been able to organize themselves on the streets. Now, these kind of organizations is not, in a sense, completely genuine, uh, meaning it's not grown necessarily from within, from the bottom to the top. But actually, there's many NGOs involved. Peru is about to celebrate its 200 years of independence, political independence, but we still suffer from the same um, situation we did 200 years ago. For example, before we used to call colonizers or conquerors to those who pay no taxes, who were not elected by the people, and who were not accountable to the nation, but rather to, to foreign interests. Now we still have the same problem, but we don't call them any longer conquerors or colonizers, but we actually call them NGOs. So these NGOs have been the ones that have triggered and, and, and pushed and financed this upheaval on the streets. Mm -hmm. And in relation to the Christian churches, uh, Peru is one of the most Catholic countries in Latin America, one of the countries with the highest growth of evangelicals per year, mainly charismatic and Pentecostal, in spite of a strong Christian culture in our country, the, the last governments um, did not give any relevant consideration to the Christian faith. Why do you think that is? Well, um, the previous administrations in Peru mm -hmm. uh, were reluctant to respect our religious freedoms and our, our, our freedom to worship as a right. And during the pandemic of the coronavirus, there was actually a switch of understanding the paradox of power. Uh, so far in Western civilization, we recognize that there are what we call inalienable rights, rights that do not come from men or the state and rights that cannot be taken by men or the state. They can only be recognized and defended. For example, the dignity of life or mm -hmm. the, the human dignity or liberty. This is something as the Article 1, the first article of the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that every person is born free and endowed with a conscience. So freedom is not something that is granted by the state or authorized by the state or given by the state, but rather something that it is recognized and defended. The freedom to think and to express what you think. The freedom to believe and to express what you believe. This is a, a recognition. However, 
during the, the pandemic, the state has decided that only that which is essential should be allowed. But the question is, who determines what's essential? Our public servants, who are, at the end, the people we pay them their salaries to serve us, or the individual, which is the final purpose of the state, to serve the individual. This switch has created a, a paradox that was abolished by what we call the Christian civilization and now the Western civilization, in which we have, in a sense, uh, brought back the sovereign subject relationship instead of the public servant citizen relationship. So now, in Peru, for example, the president would state that certain activities were essential, us going to the bank, going to the grocery store, and going to the pharmacies. Those were essential activities. But worship God, gathering together to read the word of God. In, in other words, obeying and fulfilling God's commandments was disqualified as non-essential. So in a sense, Peru became a materialist country, a country which only recognized the needs that were material, material needs, mm -hmm. the needs of the body, but not the spiritual needs, in a, just like an atheist state. So any spiritual need was disqualified as non-essential, and it wasn't even included on their reactivation plan. There was a plan uh, formulated by the government to reactivate the economy, to go back to a normal uh, living, in which you could see a gradual reopening of restaurants, movie theaters, gym, and so forth. But you wouldn't find in any of those stages the reopening of the church. So in a sense, the government has shut down the doors of the churches in Peru. And just uh, in the past few weeks, uh, the ousted president, Vizcarra, said the churches could reopen starting November 15th, but with certain restrictions and considerations to uh, the healthcare of people, which is, in a sense, an advancement, but I don't know if I would call it completely an advancement because state should respect our religious freedoms. And I believe Christians should uh, remember also the inheritance we have. For example, if you let me, I would like to mention just two instances in which the Christian church decided to obey God's commandments above men's commandments. For example, the gathering of Christians, which is called in, in Latin, Ecclesia, which is an, what we call now Iglesia in Spanish and church in English, in English used to gather e e even though it was unlawful to do so. Uh, we remember Saul of Tarsus was able to get a decree from the Congress back then called the Sanhedrin. And with this decree, he was able to persecute legally, imprison the Christians, and finally uh, to disperse them. However, Christians were faithful on their gatherings until finally Jesus himself showed up to Saul of Tarsus and asking why was he persecuting him. In, in, in other words, Jesus personified that unlawful church, that church which was able to subdue itself first 
to God and then to men. But it happened in the United States as well. On 1918, only 100 years ago, 102 years ago, uh, we see the founder of the Four Square Church, which is a huge, charismatic, and Pentecostal church in Peru. Uh, this Canadian lady named uh, Sister Amy Semple McPherson began a three-week revival in Tulsa, Oklahoma, even though there were restrictions and lockdowns. Because 1918, the whole world suffered what is known as the flu pandemia or the Spaniard flu, which took millions of lives. And she broke the lockdown for three weeks. And many thousands of people came for the conferences until finally the government had to say, we must respect the religious freedom because the government is not the owner of life. In, in, in addition of that, uh, after, the, after the conservatives authorities seen in, in our Catholic Church, now we have a liberal cardinal and an archbishop in Lima, for example. Um, wh what do you say about that? What well, means for us? There's been a, a, a very strong switch, politically speaking or ideologically speaking, within the Roman Catholic Church worldwide and also in Peru. As you have stated, the new cardinal in Peru and the new archbishop of Lima are very uh, progressive leaning. Mm. So, for example, we have been shocked to hear the archbishop demanding Congress to bring ousted President Vizcarra back to power which is something that is not even viable, democratically or constitutionally speaking. But we have clearly heard what his position was. We have heard him say that opening the church is not really essential and that they could just uh, pray from the outside. You know, I am glad to see what's going on now in France. In Paris, we see not a few people, but actually hundreds of people surrounding the Roman Catholic churches, saying, open the church, open the church. And even though the church are not allowed to open, they're still having their services right outside the buildings, the temples. In Peru, these progressive leaning uh, authorities of the Roman Catholic Church, in a sense, were functional to the government's position. Uh, on the other side, on the Protestant churches, there's been many requests that were sent to the president for the government to allow and respect religious freedoms, but sadly none of them were taken into account. Uh, at the end, we have seen uh, President Vizcarra considering the reopening under very strict measures. For example, not, not singing aloud. And first, he even asked for churches to consider what is called inclusive language, which for Christians is hard to enforce because what we preach is the word of God, not the word of man. So that would mean to create a new Bible, a Bible that would be approved by men. I, I don't know, but I think in in Spanish is more clear the inclusive language. Yeah, no? yeah, yeah. For the articles and yeah, pronouns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in English, yeah, you're, you're right. The Spanish is very specific yeah. on masculine and feminine. Yes. In English, there's yeah. many words that are, could be either, yeah. right? For example, they or them. 
You know, they could be guys or could be girls. Yeah. And in Spanish, we have a specific word for they as men or they as women, right? So, and then we have inclusive terms as well, which could be either of, you know? But there is a, a, a new proposal to include terms. Now, we must differentiate terms from words. Words describe reality. That's why the word is Jesus, the word of God. It describes creation. It, it describes truth. But terms describe ideas. For example, nobody would know or understand what bourgeoisie means or proletariat means unless you understand the basic definitions that Marxism proposes to interpret reality. Mm. In, 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 in this same matter, there are terms from, for, that birth or come from different ideologies. However, the church should not be forced to use a language that comes from an ideological perspective because its duty is to preach the word. Now, word, as I have said, describes realities, truth. Yeah, um, in, the, um, in, in, in the words of uh, Juramentation, yeah, the, 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 the taking note yeah, uh, of our um, new president, Uh, um, Francisco Sagasti uh, recognized the religious freedom. Yeah, it is important for. Yeah, he he stated that he uh, sworn recognizing the Roman Catholic Church mm. and his duty in forming morally and culturally the nation. Uh, I I hope, like most Peruvians, that his words are sincere. Uh, nonetheless, his uh, political background uh, creates more suspicions and doubts than credibility. Nonetheless, we hope the best. Now, if you look at his um, academic background, you'll find that he uh, is close and he has taken lessons and very close to a, a, a philologist in Peru who's an expert on neuroprogramming language. So what is this specialization? It's a person that specializes on speaking the terms or the words people want to hear without committing at all his true stance. That's why you have heard, well, everybody has heard in Peru, that his speech addressed to each sector saying what each sector wanted to hear. Now, thankfully, there was a great teacher that said, you should know them by their fruits. So we hope that his fruits are actually aligned with his words. Mm -hmm. and, and we hope and expect the best. How, how, how do you see the next scenario in Peru? We, we, we have a time of elections. Yes, yes. We, we are currently undergoing a, a political... Uh, elections period to elect Congress and government. These elections will be held on April 2021. And I believe now uh, what what's really going to drive the political discussions would be if Peru would like to take a globalist stand or a more national state position. Because that's really what's currently uh, 
creating all these situations of crisis and, and turmoil, socially speaking. On one side, we have the um, attempts to connect Peru to a global agenda. An agenda that comes from the outside to the inside and comes from the top to the bottom. An agenda that is not prepared within our boundaries, but actually imported and imposed. Well, it was known as the international. On the other side, you have the national position, the nation state position, mm -hmm. the position that believes that democracy births out from the inside to the outside, from the bottom to the top, in which sovereignty has a, 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 an emphasis that is actually cherished and is not willing to relinquish its independence. I think the political decision on 2021 would be the equivalent to a referendum of how do we see Peru growing in the next years, in the next decade or so. Mm -hmm. So we hope that uh, Peruvians would actually value that which has an everlasting value. We as Christians remember what the Lord taught us. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And the house of the kingdom of the Lord, you know, he was very clear in stating, for example, has walls. It has a name written on the book of life. Nobody can enter on its own terms. God is holy, 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 three times holy. And he stated from the very beginning, he created man and woman to be one flesh. He's the creator of life and creator of family. It's natural institutions. I believe... Christians would have to decide on this matter because there's things that have price and that are terrestrial and there are things that are everlasting and which value is is impossible to calculate. Thank you, Christian, for your time and your input. I hope we can talk more often about these relevant issues. Thank you very much for... Thank you very much, Reynaldo, to you. It's always an honor to, to be in your program in Spanish and in English as well. <laughs> yes. Okay. I am Reynaldo Aragón from Lima, Peru for Religion Unplugged. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Reynaldo Aragón, Religion Unplugged contributor and a board member of the Media Project, edited and produced by Peter Freeby. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.